This is the other Bundesliga podcast. The Austrian Bundesliga title has now been decided, but there are still plenty of talking points for us to discuss from up and down the table. And welcome to this week's edition of the Other Bundesliga podcast. My name is Tom Midler. I'm here at the lovely Long Hall Pub and Kitchen with Lee Wingate. And this week we've been enjoying the sunshine and the high temperatures in Vienna and uh, even sitting in the garden with a few beers to prepare for this pod. And we've got title winners, we've got conspiracy theories and uh, even some shocking VAR calls. I guess shocking maybe isn't the right word. It's perhaps some unsurprisingly bad VAR calls maybe as well to talk about. But uh, firstly... Lee, where have your travels taken you this week? Because I know you had some football trips planned last time uh, we met to record. Yeah, I've been all the way over to the other side of Austria and beyond via a replacement bus service, which really reminded me of life in the UK. I went to Liechtenstein to see the cup final between Vaduz and Bowser's and then hiked the length of the country going to every football stadium in it. So that was my plan for the for the week. And uh uh, safe to say, I regret it immensely now. My feet are really hurting. <laughs> You're feeling it mm. after after pacing up and down Liechtenstein, all in the name of football. Indeed, yeah. But it was it was lovely, you know. Lots of immense views. As soon as you start getting higher up, you have the views over Switzerland, and yeah, very nice. Would recommend. There's a there's an app called Listery, which is basically giving you Liechtenstein's history as you follow this trail through the country. So if you're a fan of hiking, I would recommend. Nice. I thought that was a mouthwash. <laughs> <laughs> what do I know? Uh, is that going to be covered in detail on the next episode of The Sweeper? Yes. Uh, first of all, that will be covered on uh, TalkSport, actually, the UK radio station uh, on Wednesday, the 24th of May. Uh, but then it will be covered in the next episode of The Sweeper in more detail, which will be out on, uh, I think that's 30th of May, the next one's coming out. Nice. Looking forward to that then. Um, I've been commentating. I did the women's DFB Pokal Finale, which was very nice. Um, a 10th title for Wolfsburg's women up against Freiburg. It was a pretty good game. It ended 4-1. And I think um, women's football in Germany is sort of one of the few places where you can be very much unsurprised that an even game nonetheless ends up 4-1 to Wolfsburg. It's mm. kind of inevitable, but they're very impressive. They won their 10th title nine in a row. Um, and... Uh, You'd think that nine in a row might be unbeatable, but to bring things to Austrian football and to this specific podcast, Salzburg have just completed 10 in a row in terms of Bundesliga titles. They uh, beat Sturm 2-1 at their home in Salzburg this weekend. It was a lovely sunny day out this Sunday, but Salzburg got over the line with a late goal from Karim Konate and won to make it 10 in a row. So I'll kick things off by saying, what is it going to take for that run to come to an end? I know that's a big question to start the pod with, and it's something we get asked quite a lot but now seems like an appropriate time to bring that back up again yeah well it's really hard to simply say objectively what it's going to take obviously all title runs come to an end at some point but it's really hard in Austria to envisage when that's going to be I was browsing on reddit earlier and I saw somebody jokingly say that what it would take is for another energy drinks company like Monster to buy a club and for <laughs> there then to be an energy drinks derby but joking aside... Could you imagine what Rapid fans and Austria fans would do if there was an energy drink derby? <laughs> <laughs> How much they would hate that. 
Well, I don't know which club they'd buy out in the first place because none of the tradition-steeped clubs would accept that, would they? No, but then would Austria Salzburg have sort of counted as that, you know, at the mm. time? Would we have thought it's not possible? But then when the might of power takes over, there's not much you can do. You know, if Coca-Cola said, hey, if, if Monster said, hey, we're going we're gonna to buy Rapid Vienna, a lot of people would be very unhappy. But mm. if they had the money to do it, mm. could they do it? Maybe they could. Yeah, I suppose it depends how sick and tired the fans are of not winning anything. But I feel like tradition trumps success for some of the more hardcore fans at the Vienna clubs. I think what it would take, uh, on a serious note, is for a number of things to come together at the same time. First of all, you'd need a really consistent challenger like there has been this season like Sturm Graz, but probably a bit more consistent than they have been. Because yeah, five losses this season for them mm. is certainly not a bad record, but it's, it's too many, isn't it, for a yeah. title winner? I think you always look at sort of three mm-hmm. defeats in any league, really. If you think if you're getting fewer than three defeats, you're going to be very close. Mm. And then also for them to come out on top in the direct duels with Salzburg, and I think they've lost the two of them in the champions uh, championship round now, haven't they? 2-0 uh, in Graz and, and 2-1 yesterday. And also for Salzburg to have a season where perhaps maybe a little bit like this season, but I also feel a bit harsh saying that, but where the crop of youngsters coming through is perhaps not at the standard of your Haaland's, your Dakers, and uh, uh, maybe there's a bit of a drop-off. But having seen Karim Konate score that winner yesterday, you know, you don't, it doesn't really give me confidence that that drop-off is going to happen. I like what you said about certain conditions needing to be met, and they were almost met this year. Some of those conditions were met. As you said, uh, Sturm were a pretty consistent challenger, nearly there. I think there was a window of opportunity. This year might be one of those that you look back on and think that was a chance. That was a close chance for somebody else to win it. Sturm, obviously, in this case. You're right, those two games in the championship round, both went to Salzburg, and they're now six points ahead. Crucial, absolutely crucial, those two games. And... I think the quality of the players coming through at Salzburg is not the issue. I think it's the stage of their development that they're currently at. And there's fewer players in this current crop that are at their game-changing best, as it were. Mm, You've got players like Seibald who can turn a game. Sesko seems to be a very intelligent striker. But in terms of some of the other names we've seen, even like Dominic Sobosnai and stuff in in years gone by, those were players that you could so see that they're ready to leave. There was no question about whether they would stay another season. It's like, no, definitely it's time for them to go. Definitely Haaland was going to move on. Um, So they were just a bit further on in their development and that made the squad overall quite a bit stronger. And I think there is still a really good crop of players right now at Salzburg, Mm. but they're a bit younger and a bit more raw. And that, for me, uh, doesn't bode well for title challengers in the next season. Um, especially the, the, the symmetry of the fact that Dedic and Konate scored the goals. Two mm. newcomers, essentially. Uh, two of many first-time title winners in Austria this season. There were quite a bunch. I can't remember exactly how many, but I think there were seven or eight people who've never won uh, a title with Salzburg who got their first taste of that this weekend. So the future sort of looks bright after what has been a fairly challenging season for Salzburg. Mm. Yeah, I agree with you. I think you've hit the nail on the head there about the players being at their game-changing peak, essentially. Um, so I think that's probably a better way to put it. To put it in a little bit of historical context as well, this is a double figure now, this title winning streak. They've hit 10. I think only 12 European clubs in history have done that. And, you know, we've seen some of the longer title winning runs come to an end. I might be speaking too soon, but Borussia Dortmund could dethrone Bayern this weekend. We've had uh, in Romania, Cluj after five years. 
but with Salzburg, it's still really hard. And it's maybe very sweeper of you to pick out Romania there. <laughs> <laughs> like if you think about like Paris Saint Germain's, the the Juve's and stuff that have had their runs broken, and you've you've got an only not this season necessarily. Yeah. But to go with Clues is, is yeah. very sweeper. Of I was thinking. Like I was thinking of the ongoing ones that have <laughs> yeah, just okay. ended this season or, or might end this season. But in Austria, I don't know if it's just because I'm too close to it, too attached to it, that I can't see it objectively. But I I just can't see where it's going to come from. To be honest with you. I thought this season might be it. And also, it's bad to make decisions based on outcomes rather than situations. So if Stumgatz had won those two games and won the league, I'd now be sitting here saying, oh, it's a different ball game. But really, it's not. It's still the same, and it's very hard to see that hegemony being broken. Uh, very wise. To move things to the game itself, I had a really nice day out, helped by the beautiful weather. Salzburg was looking on, on wonderful form, you know, just clear blue skies, lovely, walked by the river, had a lovely day before going to the game. And the game itself was a bit of a treat, to be honest, for a tabletop clash. I thought it might get a bit cagey, and it started off that way. But I thought Salzburg at first, in the first 20, 25 minutes, they held Sturm back completely. They stopped Sturm doing what they like to do and trying to win the ball back quickly and, and build out from the back and sort of move forward quickly. They really stopped Sturm doing any of that. But credit to Sturm, credit to Christian Ilzer, they managed to then start winning individual battles. It was like they needed answers in the game. And I thought they really came up with them halfway through the first half. And then Sturm started to dominate and that culminated in a goal. And it sort of had been coming as well. There were other chances. It may get hit the post before Sakaria's free kick was headed in by uh, Jan Goretz Stankovic. And at that point, Sturm are daring to dream and they go in at half time, 1-0 up. And that was, that was quite something. You did think, you know, it, it was sort of on for a little while there. I think it kind of says it all when the player that has put Sturm Graz ahead is a former Huddersfield player. <laughs> but, but nonetheless, it was a great delivery by Manpritz Sakaria and a really nice header into the far corner. I think it's important to emphasise that even had they won, that bonus point would have prevented them from going above Salzburg. They would have still needed Salzburg uh, to drop points in their remaining two games of the season. But it's about the message it sends and about there being more equality at the top of the Austrian Bundesliga. It's very different to win the league by points compared to winning the league by having a, an extra bonus point you know that, that would send a very different message for seasons to come uh, but yeah certainly good for Sturm Graz a, a strong start it's just a shame that they then in the second half couldn't manage to add to that or hold on to it I felt like it was a bit of a microcosm of, of how good Sturm's season has actually been that this game went the way that it did because they really played well and I think even after Salzburg equalised, Salzburg came out, equalised within three minutes of the restart. Oconquo made a brilliant save from Junior Adamu in the box. Adamu really should have scored. Brilliant save. The clearance was very panicked then and it was sort of shoveled into the way of Amadedic who came in and smashed it home for 1-1 right at the start of the second half. And you thought you could feel the relief there. There was some real noise in that stadium. 17,200 fans, a lot of noise coming from the away end. Absolute credit to the Sturm fans, as you'd expect. But uh, plenty of noise from the home fans, especially when that goal went in. But the game then balanced out. Sturm you know, offered a, a good level of resistance. Again, Salzburg were on top then, but Sturm found the answers and started going for it. And you knew that they would go for it because they really needed the win more than Salzburg. And I thought I could see this one coming to an end as a 1-1 draw. And I thought that in itself would be a microcosm for the season for Sturm because it's like it would be a very impressive draw. It would be a very creditable result against a good opponent. But ultimately, definitely not enough. Enough for Christian Ilter to know that he's done a great job. Enough for the Sturm players to know they did a great job, but ultimately definitely not enough. And then the real kick in the teeth was that Karim Konate came on, 
Sturm obviously left a bit of room as they were pushing for a winner. They did have a couple of chances. Philip Kuhn had to make a couple of decent stops, uh, but then Karim Konate turned very, very well, scored the winning goal, tucked it in at the near post, and then it was it was sort of party time for the fans. Then they unveiled their banner saying, Wir werden Meister, we are going to be the champions. And it was it was decided at that point. And a, a note on the commentary, <laughs> it was it was very flat for the, the standard Austrian style. It was like, oh, Canate, the substitute's just come on. He's turned, oh, and he scored a nice goal. Uh, yeah, the substitution really paid off. And then there's a, some analysis, which is just like, yep, that was uh, that was really good. Yep, nice goal, like, good good player, good, good goal, really uh, talented mm. player. Yeah, it's like, this goal's just won them the title. Like, mm. where's the excitement? And uh, I suppose that brings me on to a point that I wanted to make about this. The reaction online very much afterwards was, where is the excitement? Mm. Because it didn't look good. A big talking point before the game was that the top tier was closed for the most part. There was a little section in the middle that was open. But for the most part, the top tier was closed. What did you think about all that? Uh, it's obviously a, sh- a championship showdown, a title showdown. It was sort of a bad look to have the top tier closed, although I do understand the reasons for, for Salzburg doing it, but <laughs> I, I understand the unofficial reason a bit more than the official reason. Mm. Well, you mentioned there that the attendance was 17,000. That is above the average attendance for a league game. You really notice that when you go to Salzburg that there is such a difference between their league games and their European games where everybody wants to come. They're playing Chelsea, Barcelona. You've got a full stadium. But even for a league game where they are, you know, actually playing for something, the title, that's kind of normal now that they they, they don't sell out. So I do understand that doesn't come as such a big surprise to me. I actually found it really interesting. You talked of excitement there, looking at some of the reactions online in a Reddit forum um, there was a Sturm fan and a Salzburg fan having quite a heated exchange about why do you still support this club? And a couple the of plastic Salz- fans is kind yeah. of the, the, the common English term that you'd level against a club like Salzburg. You know, I, we, I congratulated them on Twitter afterwards and said, you know, congrats to the, to the team. They've obviously won the title. That's definitely worthy of a congratulations tweet, <laughs> certainly. And people are saying like, oh, the fans don't deserve anything. They, they, the Salzburg don't have fans. They just have customers kind of thing. So interesting mm. that you read this and I'm, I'm keen to hear what, what it was. Well, it was essentially just Storm fans asking why Salzburg fans still supported them. They said if we'd been bought out by a big company, you know, we wouldn't support them anymore. And there were two differing viewpoints from Salzburg fans. Uh, The first one was that you cannot artificially create the emotional connection. So they were saying, you know, you can't just go and pick another Bundesliga club. Uh, And the other Salzburg fan made quite an interesting point of the amount of Austrian clubs that have gone bust over the years or had financial problems. He said... Salzburg have come up with a model that is more than sustainable with the transfer revenue they're bringing from young players and they play good football too. And it's just nice to have something that you know isn't going to disappear, which I thought was kind of interesting. It's a very nice problem to have, you know, this this luxury football club with all these amazing youngsters. But there were some differing viewpoints about why essentially they still supported Salzburg. And you can't really, even if you're feeling bitter and angry that one club has come in and dominated the league. I don't think you can really tell other people what to do. You can't make them support another club. And it's clear that some people, after Salzburg bought out Austria Salzburg, decided to go one way and and some are very much stuck with it. Yeah, it's always a hypothetical as well until it happens in your city with your club too. It's sort of easier to look at. And I, I spent some time in America recently. I was in Seattle and I found it quite interesting there that I went to see the Kraken, the, the new hockey franchise in 
in Seattle. And I know you, uh, European sports and European sports fans have quite a different relationship with sports to those in America. And, and I like both. They've both got their, their strengths and, and weaknesses, I, I think. But I found it really interesting to see the buzz around Seattle because the playoffs were there and the hockey team are brand new, second year, they're in the playoffs. And so many people around on the streets were just saying like, hey, great, I didn't really like hockey. I didn't know that much about hockey. And then this hockey team came to my city and now I love it. And I know there's a lot of differences. It's sort of in, in the US, most cities have like one team of each sport. So it's sort of a bit, a bit less divided in terms of who supports who. But I found that quite interesting. And maybe there's an element of that in Salzburg too. You know, if you're growing up and you want to watch football in Salzburg, you do have other options. But when your team's winning the Bundesliga and winning the Champions League, of course, it's an attractive option. Like you said, they're definitely going to be there. Uh, they've got good facilities. It's like you can understand people will take their, their families there. The one thing I will say, I mean, I know Salzburg are easy to criticise, but the one thing I will say, being there for the title decider, yes, there were post-match beer showers and everything and, and there were all the usual things, the, the Champions T-shirts being rolled out. But I definitely did get the sense, even as you said, 17,000 is a decent crowd. I won't knock them for that, even if the top tier was close. 17,000 in the Bundesliga is a very decent crowd, but um, it definitely would have felt very, very different if you see, imagine, as you would have to do, just imagine Rapide winning a title at the Allianz, uh, Sturm winning a title at the Merkur Arena. It would have felt very different to the way it felt after full time in Salzburg on Sunday. Mm. I'm, I'm sure of that. I, I don't know. I've never experienced it. But just looking at what happened after Sturm won the Cup this season, obviously, is the, the closest example. It's not the same in Salzburg. And that I can say for sure. Yeah, with the fans, I think that's definitely the case. But going back to the game in Graz in the championship round between Sturm and Salzburg, watching Christoph Freund in the press box, you would not have guessed that Salzburg sporting director, you would not have guessed that his team were trying to win a 10th title in a row. It was as if he'd never won one before. So I think, <laughs> I think the fans, yeah, there is a difference, but everyone at the club still wants it just as much as the last one. Interesting. I think it was uh, Matthias Jessler yesterday who said... Um, he won't go past his like his his boundaries when it comes to alcohol and celebrations tonight. But he he will confirm that he cannot out drink aforementioned sporting director <laughs> Freund. So uh, I'm sure they had a pretty big party. Uh, whether you know whether it was as big as other teams would have had, that's a different question. But I'm sure they had a pretty big party. We had a question actually from Christian Falia, who's actually here with us for this recording. But it was on behalf of Eric Krajewski. Talking about the, the Salzburg success, the Red Bull success, it's not an easy one, Lee, to throw in here at the end of our Salzburg and Sturm section, but why are there not four or five Red Bull teams in the league? Oh, not Red Bull teams, but equivalents thereof. We mentioned about you know Monster Energy taking over a team as a joke. Why are there not other teams looking at Austria and thinking that's an attractive place? Look what Red Bull Salzburg are doing. They can get in the Champions League. They can get all this lucrative player sale generation and stuff. Why aren't other people doing it? It's a good question. Um, I think there's first and foremost the identification with Salzburg, the city. It's important not to forget Red Bull is an Austrian brand, one of Austria's biggest brands. And if they were going to get into football, as they have done with other sports like F1, uh, then this was a logical place also to start. Also a big Austrian pastime, to be fair. You know, mm -hmm. F1 has a, a big history in Austria. So again, yeah. it made it a, an appropriate uh, ground for them to invest in that. Yeah, and also it's just a big network, a pre-existing network of sports clubs. You have one in New York, in Leipzig, in Bragantino, in Brazil. There might be more now. I can't even think of the full list. But uh, there's already this pre-existing network that is all interconnected. They rely on each other. So anyone else that starts has to start from square one, essentially, unless they already 
have clubs under their ownership? It's a hard question to answer. Thanks for throwing that out as Christian. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think a lot of it is to do with their identification with Salzburg as a city is, is what made it happen in the first place. And there aren't loads of energy drinks companies or, or, or big, I don't know, companies of a similar ilk that I can think of that I might get involved in sport. I wonder if that helps as well, going back to the fan issue. You know, when, when the conglomerate that buys your club is also a local conglomerate, as it were, you know, other than fans of other football teams, Red Bull has a fairly positive image in Austria as, you know, big employer, big company, big Austrian success. Maybe that also helps with that. But I would wager perhaps as well, if you are looking at Austria as a place to invest and, and make another big team, you know you've got to go up against Red Bull Salzburg. Mm. So actually, the, maybe other leagues are easier, <laughs> arguably. Mm. You know, Salzburg are already doing it really, really well here. You mentioned earlier that perhaps at the other big traditional clubs, it would be quite difficult to, to get in there and, and win the fan base over. So you'd have to start at the bottom somewhere. And yeah, there's already an established model doing it better than you're going to be able to do it really and, and doing it without the need necessarily for immediate profit generation either. Mm. You know, not many businesses can afford to say, hey, no, this is just a project that we're interested in. We want to do this. And, and it, doesn't, it doesn't matter how it turns out, really, for, for the you know, money generation. We'll make it work somehow in our favor. Red Bull have the power to do that. Mm. Not, not many companies do. I think we can move on from Salzburg versus Sturm after trying to tackle these very big questions. Um, when we come back, we'll talk about a conspiracy theory within the top six of the Austrian Bundesliga. But for now, we'll take a little break. Welcome back to the other Bundesliga podcast. I promised you a conspiracy that we were talking of, and there is a bit of a fourth, fifth, sixth place conspiracy that was uh, mooted before this round of fixtures. However, before we look at that, we'll move up to P3, and that is now Lask. We sort of knew they were going to be in P3 anyway. They've looked pretty much solidly nailed on as the third place team for quite a long time, but now, after a 1-1 draw, a late goal from Thomas Goiginger away at Rapid, they have confirmed that they will definitely finish in P3, and that is not insignificant with Sturm as the cup winner. That means that P3 will definitely play European group stage football next season, so Lask have secured themselves a ticket to at least the UEFA Europa Conference League group stages or potentially even the UEFA Europa League group stages if they can get through the playoff rounds. We got a question from Nemo Antonievich on Twitter, which was, how will they do in Europe next season now they can afford to look forward to that? What do you think of their, their chances in Europe? For me, it's hard to imagine that they could surpass their previous achievements in Europe. The likes of, you know, they took Man United close at Old Trafford. They drew with Spurs. There's a lot of good memories. I don't think this team is quite as good as the team two or three years ago. But they were pretty deep in the Europa League that year, didn't they, in 2020? Mm. And then they won five out of six in their Conference League uh, debut. So, yeah, you're right. They've got some good good campaigns to look back on if they're going to beat those yeah I think they were actually one of the only unbeaten teams in the European group stages that year I think they drew the other one but this current team they're clearly building something they are very much deserving of their third place finish they were clearly the third best team in the country for me and I think for most people how they'll do in Europe it depends whether they go into the Europa League or the Conference League I think the Conference League I could see them getting through to the knockouts the Europa League I'd be less confident I'm really looking forward to finding out because even if they do lose the likes of Keita Nakamura 
they've shown in the last few seasons that they've got the capability at least. They don't have a, a this almost perfect hit rate that Sturm have got over the last couple of years, but they've got a very uh, decent return in terms of player signings. So who they bring in is, you know, they're likely to be able to bring in some players who can add something to their team for the beginning part of next season. Always difficult when you're brand new. Some of the players might even arrive after qualifiers, for example. So it's not an easy question to sort of bed those players in, but there's a lot of talent in the squad. And I think they are sort of doing a bit of a Sturm light in a way that they're solidifying uh, position by position they've got some good young players coming up to some players improving I like that uh, Tobias Laval has been in goal instead of Alex Schlager for the last couple of games because Schlager is going to be moving on most likely uh, almost certainly in the summer he'll be uh, no longer a last player and Laval is a talented young you know former under 21 Austria international and now he's in the team do we know where Schlager's going uh, we don't yet officially uh, Salzburg is the the big rumor but um, still not not official so Interesting to see, you know, with Sturm uh, losing their goalkeeper uh, and their lone goalkeeper as well, probably, and uh, Lask also losing their goalkeeper. So, and maybe Salzburg too. Maybe all the top three will lose their goalkeepers. So there'll be a, a goalkeeping merry-go-round in the top three. But what I'm really excited for for Lask in Europe is when you think about, you know, I mentioned they did really well in that Conference League year. They were playing those games in Klagenfurt, miles away. Mm. And when I think back to, to when they really did well, they were in Linz. They were at the site of their new stadium. Um, those games were brilliant. We all loved going to the Google, the old Linter Google for European games. The, the atmosphere in there was incredible, even though it was one of those old running track, the stands and the, you know, stands were miles away from the pitch, that kind of stuff. They were brilliant there and, and the nights were incredible there. So I'm really hoping mainly that the new stadium, the new Raiffeisen Arena in that position in Linz can recreate that kind of magic because I really loved that old stadium on European nights. And I don't see why, I don't see why that can't be repeated or perhaps even bettered by this great new stadium. We just talked about how Salzburg will fill out in Europe and it's a completely different thing in, in terms of European games to the league. Well, Lask have a great league atmosphere, but they also massively surpass that in Europe. They also have leaky beer though. <laughs> oh no. No, we have to go and check that out and see if they've sorted that out in the meantime. If you haven't, if somebody's listening from Lask, Sort out your leaky beers. Yeah, just had for, time. For those of you who aren't familiar, Lask have, like the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, those beers that fill from the bottom. And when I went for a uh, Euro qualifier a few months ago, it was very much leaking out of the bottom of the cup. So I'm very keen to see if that's been remedied. It's called Zipfer. You know, you, you think if, if, the, if two pieces should join together smoothly, Zipfer should be able to get it working, <laughs> but apparently not. So, yeah, Lask, sort it out. Um, moving down then to the fourth, fifth, sixth, and the aforementioned conspiracy. That came courtesy of uh, Austria Klangfurt sporting director Matthias Imhoff. He claimed that the league wants them to finish sixth so that the big five, in inverted commas, um, can get the top five positions, i.e. the European qualification positions. That came after some pretty controversial penalty calls in the game against Sturm Graz last weekend. They drew one all with Austria-Vienna this weekend, and I've got my thoughts on the matter, but what do you think about Matthias Imhoff's conspiracy against Austria Klagenfurt? Well, I haven't seen the penalty calls in question. I think it's important to preface my comments by saying that. But I do think that more or less everybody thinks that refereeing decisions go against them. And I think throughout the course of a season, the decisions that go for and against you more or less balance themselves out. It was interesting, the guys on the Guardian Football Weekly podcast were talking a little while back about how 
VAR and refereeing in general seems to be of a higher quality in, in other countries to your own. And that's simply because you're more invested in the ones in your own country. What you mean? Everybody thinks VAR is of a higher quality in other, in yeah. other countries. Yeah, <laughs> okay, because yeah. they're annoyed about the decisions against their team. We've all got the worst VAR. Yeah. And so I think really, without having seen those calls, and perhaps you can enlighten me on those, uh, and, and whether they really should have been penalties, I think it more or less balances itself out over the course of the I, season. I thought you'd seen the one. It was last weekend against Sturm, and they came back to 2-1 against Sturm, and then there was a kind of body check in the box that, oh, that, yeah. caught, the, that caught the player in the face. I did see that, yeah, you're and right. They felt that Soto. That, yeah, exactly, and they felt that when Soto was, was sort of checked, it was a shoulder to the face, that they should have got a penalty, maybe could have been 2-2, could have you know upset the apple cart a bit there in the title race um, and the league presumably I mean it was in the heat of the moment wasn't it but they felt that the league didn't want them to do that mm. however I think this weekend's games have you can pretty much dispel that myth with this weekend's games because they got a 90 second minute equalizer to draw against Austria Vienna and again that's a result that keeps them right in the battle they could still come forth it would take some doing but they can definitely still come forth given that uh, Rapid Austria and Klagenfurt all drew but they got pretty lucky with their injury time equalizer yeah, this was the throw-in that should have arguably gone the other way, right? And they took the throw-in quickly. I don't think he's even arguably Lee, to I, be okay. honest. It just, the, the Klagenfurt player just, just kicked it out and then cleverly immediately picked the ball up and took the throw-in. But the Sky commentator said, oh, he's been really clever there. He's taken that really quickly so the referee couldn't change his mind. Why can't the referee change his mind? Just because you do something quickly, that doesn't mean you're allowed to get away with it. <laughs> So if I score an offside goal in a game, I'm just going to put the ball down on the centre spot yeah. immediately and instruct <laughs> the opposition centre forward to just, just take the kick off quick. Why could that not have been VAR and reversed? But I think this is where VAR gets really, really complex because then can you even VAR a throw-in decision? I don't think you can. You can't VAR a throw-in decision. What if it's clear and obvious though? Yeah, but I don't think you can. I think it's like it doesn't fall under the remit and then it's right in the build-up to the goal. You know, they had the ball in the net like four seconds later or something. But still, I don't think you can do it. It's like not covered in the remit of VAR. So what does this mean? Like every time the other team wins a throw, if you just take it quickly, like <laughs> if you get the ball first and you throw it in first. Yeah, but it's like, yeah, I don't know if the referees have to say, oh, sorry, he threw it too quickly. I wasn't able to take it back. I don't think, I think the referee could have brought it back and said no. If the mm. linesman had said, actually, that was, that's gone the other way, then they would have taken the throw in, carried on, maybe even scored the goal. And they would have said, no, sorry, look, actually I blew the whistle. That, that was an Austria-Vienna throw in. But, yeah, it's, this is that question of VAR, isn't it? The, the scrutiny of VAR. And then you say, OK, so how far back can you go? What can you do? We've all seen goals that have been given, you know, chalked off, like, or something, a penalty call especially, that's come, like, two minutes later. They've said, oh, actually, we're going to check that thing from two minutes ago. And there's been loads of football played in the meantime. And you, that really just leaves a bad taste, doesn't it? Because you think, what? Like, you carried on. Maybe, you know, if the right decision is made in the end, whatever. But yes, this is another curious case of, of VAR. However, I think that went massively in Austria Klagenfurt's favour. They then, from that, scored a pretty nice finish, it has to be said, um, to, to level, in, uh, level in injury time. And they drew one all. And that's kept things very, very tight between fourth, fifth and sixth. It's currently Austria in fourth, Rapid in fifth after their 1-1 draw and uh, Klagenfurt in sixth, but only separated by a couple of points between the three of them. So mm. still anybody's, uh, anybody's game for P4. And remember, P4 is crucial because P4 is into the Europa Conference League qualifiers with a good chance of getting into the Conference League group stages. P5 has to play the winner of the domestic playoff between seventh 
and eighth. So not only do they have that extra domestic playoff, which you really don't want, but you, you, then, you then go into the Conference League qualifiers really, really early on. So P5 is an incredibly difficult way to get into Europe. P4, much, much more inviting. So definitely those three teams all will be desperate for P4. Yeah, I would agree. I think it's going to be one of the Vienna teams. I think it's going to be Austria-Vienna. I know it's easy for me to say because they're currently in that position. But, yeah, I'm not convinced by Rapid, as previous listeners of this podcast will know. So Austria is my bet. All right. Um, they scored a lovely goal as well, to be fair. Um, and Burgstaller was the scorer for Rapid. It's 20th of the season. Talking about carrying a team, you know. Um, looking down to that domestic playoff that I just mentioned, 7th v 8th. Uh, it, it's moved down because of Sturm winning the cup, etc., etc. But that now it means seventh v eighth will be a domestic playoff just after the season's finished. It's only a couple of days after the end of the season, and I personally love those games, although they're a bit weird. I love those games, and I'm hoping to be able to go and see one. Right now, it's VADC in P7, so top of the bottom six group. Lustenau on P8, level on points on 25 points. So those two would be in the playoff positions right now. VSG are two points behind. Hartberg are four points behind. And I am going to absolutely refrain from making any call as to who I think will get those top two and those domestic European playoff spots. Because it is ridiculous. It, when VSG were 4-0 up away at Lusenau, uh, and Christian, who's with us, was, was there at that game. But when VSG were 4-0 up away at Lusenau this weekend, I gave up on having any hope of guessing who's going to get the domestic playoff spots from the relegation group. I just purely think we, you just have to look at the table after match day 32 and there's nothing else you can do. Yeah, I would refrain from making a prediction too. But what I will say is that we've talked uh, at length on previous podcasts about the format and whether the fact that the points are divided at a certain stage of the season means that it's an unfair system because therefore the points at the end of the season are worth twice as much. And I really think that Wolfsburg are a prime example of this at the moment because my memories of them before Christmas are being absolutely terrible, like really terrible, like unable to defend basic situations to really do anything. And now they've suddenly got to the top of the relegation group and are probably one of the favourites to get into that European playoff. And so I think that really shows you, like if you have a good relegation round or championship round, you can really make up for quite a, poor first half of the season I'm okay with it um, you know I, I'm of that, that school of thought that everyone has the same everyone knows what it's going to be uh, it's like a classic playoff it's more of a playoff than a league you know you play your full league after 22 games everyone's played twice now it's a playoff and you've got to turn up when it counts so I'm okay with it but what I will say is that VADC definitely have been one of the most sort of blowing hot and cold teams they've all, blo- they've all blown hot and cold in their own ways and they're like Lustenau started super well and then they were absolutely horrendous for a long time. So their peak and trough has been like really high and low. Mm. And then now in the, uh, in the relegation round, they've been very good again. So they found their place. Uh, VNC have sort of also done that uh, throughout the course of the season with, I think they've gone on winning runs and massive losing runs as well. Um, and now VSK Tirol have joined them in that club of no wins in like almost 10 games or something and then winning six out of seven and then getting like no wins again for ages. So it's just very, very hard to predict what these teams are going to do. And then you've got teams like Hartberg who flatlined for ages, won a couple of games and are safe. And then you've got Altac and Reed who are just flatlining for ages without the wins. <laughs> Before we talk about Altac and Reed, actually, on my notes, we've got uh, Austria's potential worst VAR call. So that was in the game between Lustenau and VSG Tirol. Do you want to take us through that? 
I genuinely think this is the worst VAR call that I've ever seen. And I don't want to lay into commentators today because that's, you know, I feel a bit weird about doing that. But it, it was also accompanied by some quite bizarre commentating for me. So VSG at this point are 4-0 up, which I think might have influenced the situation as well. Lucen had booted a long ball forward. Anderson controlled it really well, brought it down in front of goalkeeper Ozegovic, and then takes it to the left. Anderson like cuts to the left in the box. Ozegovic dives down at his feet, punches the ball away, what I believe was quite clearly punches the ball away. I can understand a referee might not see it in the heat of the moment live. You know, that happens. You get something blocking your view or whatever. That's okay. That's fine. It's hard to say. And he doesn't punch the ball like... It doesn't change the direction of the ball particularly. It just sort of changes the speed at which the ball moves. But you can see he's come down. He's punched it away. Uh, Anderson then, of course, contacts with the goalkeeper. The goalkeeper wasn't out of control, in my view. Not at all. There was no, like, unfair play. He doesn't, he doesn't come through and clatter... Anderson at all Anderson naturally is running towards a goalkeeper who's running towards him Anderson kind of jumps over him the goalie was completely safe in what he does punches the ball away clearly wins the ball definitely before contact with the player as well and then there's a long decision making process and then it's called to VAR referee goes over to look at the screen at this point the commentator has quite clearly stated that the goalkeeper never touched the ball at any point and it's definitely a penalty I'm not trying to big myself up here, but I saw it immediately that the goalkeeper definitely made contact with the ball. As soon as you see the replay, it's like, yeah, okay, it's clear. He punches the ball there. And then about, after about 10 replays, the commentator notices that the goalkeeper <laughs> touched the ball. So he says, actually, I take it back. It's definitely not a penalty. And then at, just at that moment, the referee who's looked at the screen and seen the replays for himself in slow-mo decides that it somehow is a penalty. And I, I simply cannot fathom where that could possibly come from. All VAR decisions and dodgy ones, they, they, there's something behind them somewhere. There's something in the rule book. There's something. This one, there's just simply no excuse for it. I've just given it up with VAR. I think it, it, there's that thing where you look at a, a scene, you look at a situation and you're like, well, for me, there's like literally only one logical outcome. And now I've given up because like, if you give five people... The, the, the same pictures I'm sure you can get five different opinions and outcomes now it's, it literally has nothing to do with what I think I've just, <laughs> I don't care I've just looked at uh, VAR Austria because uh, actually there is a Twitter page for VAR in Austria man they take some flack they do <laughs> and they, they justify all of their decisions which I really think opens you up to a lot of criticism uh, but it says the referee's perception on the field was that the attacker first plays the ball and is then uh, brought down by the goalkeeper. The referee on the field perceived the playing of the ball by the goalkeeper as a shot from the attacker and therefore stood by his decision. What? I mean, Anderson does get the ball first. He does really well. Anderson doesn't do anything wrong. He gets the ball first. But then the goalkeeper makes a great punch to punch it away. It's, it's not kicked onto his hand by Anderson. This is ridiculous. It says, it's a new level of ridiculous. If it was kicked onto his hand, it would be a great save. It I says, don't understand. It says, as um, der, das Ballspielen vom Tormann hat der Schiedsrichter am Feld als angeschossen vom Feld wahrgenommen. So I presume that's what it means, that he perceived it as being he, he was shot at rather than he played the ball himself. But if he was shot at... That would be a really good bit of goalkeeping. I'm just translating it. <laughs> this is insane. This is new levels of insane. I love it. I genuinely think uh, this is only confirming my thoughts that this is the worst VAR call that I've ever seen in Austria. Whatever. I mean, VSG Tirol and Thomas Silberberger, I'll have to say, they were furious after the game. because, And rightly so, I think. They've secured their survival. They'd secured their survival before the game because there was a Friday night game. So luckily for them, they were 4-0 up and it didn't matter. However, they massively crumbled after conceding that penalty. And it's not beyond the imagination. They, they, it came back to 4-2 quite quickly after that. And they could have thrown away the win there. Uh, they didn't. It, was sort of, it has a happy ending in a way. It didn't really matter for anybody. But still... 
that was that was pretty mad. And mm. I'm sure though to move down to that relegation battle that the uh, the Esfal Reed fans and there were many of them over seven thousand at their crunch relegation clash against Altac on Friday night. I'm sure the Reed fans will feel that that was the worst VAR call because uh, Altac got a late goal that was a little bit controversial in its own right. But as far as I'm concerned, it's not a patch on the VSK call. Yeah, the goal in question was a pretty unlucky own goal from David Unger. Um, Reed haven't won at all in the relegation group. And I think that this is, as you say, the time to turn it on. And if you don't manage a win in your first eight games, they've got two left. You can't really expect to stay in the division, especially when you lose to the team that is most likely uh, to go down along alongside you or, or, you know, instead of you. So, yeah, that's really a big blot on their copybook and... I don't think they can really have any complaints about going down if they do. I mean, their stadium's a bit of a cauldron. It's a cool place. It's a lovely, lovely place to watch a game. And I'm just imagining how buzzing that would have been with 7,000 fans packed in for a massive relegation clash. If you can't win that, it's just not going to happen. Like, Altac haven't got out of relegation. Like, Hartberg got out of relegation by suddenly starting to play good football. Altac haven't done that. This is a terrible, terrible loss for, for Reed, And Altac have the bonus point. Um, so now they're sort of essentially 3.5 points ahead of Reed with two games to go. Reed have won four times all season and now need minimum four points from their last two games. I, I, I don't see it happening. Me neither. It looks like this is going to be Altac's latest great escape. We saw that on the last day of last season against VSG Tyrol. And it, it looks like they have just about beaten the drop this season as well. I think it is goodbye to Reed, And I think... I might be wrong in saying this, but I think they were the ones that I tipped for relegation a little while back. I'd have to go back and listen to <laughs> yeah. our previous podcast. Go back to the archives and yeah. check if you're right there. But I think it was. Yeah. Cyprien Vasseur asked us, what would it mean for Reed? There's a lot of young players. There's a lot of talented young players. What would a relegation mean for Reed? Do you want me to take that? I don't want to take that. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my, my opinion on this, it's a bit of a niche topic, you know, the 12th place team and their, their young players. But I think they do have some good, talented young players. And I think in that sense, I think the, the vast majority of their good youngsters will not leave. They'll get game time in the second division. They'll have contracts that are okay for second division. You know, they're not going to be like priced out of the market if Esfar uh, Reed are down. In, in the second Austrian division, you know. Um, so I think the young players will stay. What looks increasingly clear week on week, though, is that Stefan Nutz, who is still in contract talks with Reed, um, he's not going to be there next season. I don't foresee Stefan Nutz being at Reed next season. The assist machine. The assist machine. He's currently out with, uh, with an ACL injury, unfortunately for him, and, and very much unfortunately for his team. Uh, but I don't think he'll be there next season, by the sounds of it. It would be a classic... Uh, Escar Rapide transfer for me. It's got, it's got all the hallmarks. He says he wants something to, that, that, like, that lights the fire inside of him in terms of the, the sporting ambitions and, and aims of the team. Um, I, I, I foresee a free transfer to Reed. They're to, uh, from Reed to Rapide, sorry. I can foresee those flames being extinguished very quickly at Rapid Vienna. Oh, no. Oh, no. Um, as we've gone down to the bottom of the Bundesliga, I want to wrap up this pod briefly with a look at Liga 2 that we just mentioned. Reed, we think, are the most likely team to go down there next uh, season. However, the race at the top and bottom of Liga 2 is absolutely on fire right now. And it definitely deserves a little like bit of... Like Stefan Nutz's belly. <laughs> like if he, if he finds a team to offer him that, yes. <laughs> um, look, there's been the lead change three weekends in a row in the running 
to the title conclusion. That in itself is brilliant. So St. Poulton had it in their hands, Blauweiss, Lintz had it in their hands. And now, suddenly, we did, I think on the last pod, we decided, we discussed between us whether it would be St. Poulton or Blauweiss, Lintz who go up. And that makes us look pretty stupid because now they both shockingly lost this weekend. And now Gia Carr, fired by the, the, the other assist machine, Mickey Lindel, of course, they are now top of Liga Svar with just two games to go. They found themselves in the Dortmund position of uh, being given that chance to win their last two and, and get the job done, win the title. I think I can speak for the whole world when I say that we'd love to see Michi Lindel back in the Bundesliga as well. But he said he's going to retire. Could, you, could he retire after that? Or would it be the ideal time to retire? I'm uh, torn on that. I think the dream of, of one last dance with Gak in the Bundesliga would I can't say Gak Gak <laughs> one last dance though I can imagine like you know like you had the Michael Jordan documentary will we see a Michi Lindel six part documentary in years to come on Sky after his season back with the, the <laughs> I for one would love to see it and if we're going to say Gak then we've got to say Bull and Skun in, <laughs> as the three teams in the in the title race so there we go Gak versus Bull and Skun um, <laughs> are Gak going to do it I think they might I think they might uh, and we might well be away they're playing Dornbrien last day of the season away and we might be there for that mm. can you imagine if we're right if we get to have a beer on the pitch at Dornbrien with Mickey Lindel after securing promotion then the other Bundesliga is finished. Then we're, then we're closing the pod. <laughs> it's no longer needed. Well, Blauweiss Lintz celebrated the title win in the second division a few years ago with a trolley of beer on the pitch. So I think if we go to Freiburg, we should go to the supermarket, steal a trolley, stack it up with beer, and then just take it to the stadium in preparation for the final whistle. Yes. I'm sure they'll allow it. They'll allow it, surely. It's, it's all good spirits in, in Liga 2, isn't it? I'm not sure how Dornbirn will feel about that, given that they are actually in a relegation battle of their own right now. And just to very, very briefly touch on that, absolutely amazing. The team who beat St. Poulton this weekend, shockingly, to, to take them off the top, was uh, Kapfenberg. And Kapfenberg, we've seen Kapfenberg live this season earlier on, um, and they didn't win for their first 13 games and were therefore, of course, way, way, way off the pace at the bottom of the league table. However, in 2023, they've got the second best record in the whole division behind everybody except Gia Ka, current leaders. Who's um, Gia Ka? <laughs> Gak, of course, yeah. So, so, uh, so Cap have, uh, have had the second best record behind, or was it... Or was it <laughs> I don't know what it would be for Kapfenberg, whatever. Um, anyway, they're second best behind Gia Ka for 2023. Um, and the only teams they've lost to since October of 2022 are Gierka and Blauweiss Linz. So they're doing unbelievably well, just picking up points all over the place. And it, as a measure of just how far down they were after 13 games, even being the second best team in 2023, they're only just above the relegation zone and still in a battle. So, you know, we could have lots of the second teams going down, the sort of reserve teams, as it were. Um, Admira are still in that battle. Dornbien in the battle, Kapfenberg in the battle, Vorwärts, Steyr down there. Some, so some traditional teams and some second teams. And it's going to be very exciting. And maybe now the Bundesliga is over, we can go and watch a bunch of second division games, hopefully. Would be nice. And I'd love to make one of those playoffs, depending on when those fixtures are. I'm currently not aware. But. Yeah, lots of them on Fridays, but I'm loving it now. It's sunny, the weather's great. This is like this is like when I want to go to football all the time. I, I hope, mm. like, I wish the season was starting now. <laughs> you know, like, I want to watch football in these conditions all year long. Yeah, this is the right time of year as well. Simon's not with us at the moment; he's not feeling too well, so we we wish him better. But this is the perfect time 
of the year to go to the football with Simon as well because it's sort of the temperature where he's not too hot <laughs> and he's not too cold. Uh, you know, when it, once it gets to midsummer, he's struggling. Once it gets to the winter, he's struggling. But now we want to go to the football with Simon. Simon, we're looking forward to ground hopping with you again very, very soon. Uh, yeah, gute Besserung from us. And uh, we'll have him back on the pod next week, I'm sure, hopefully. Fingers crossed for that. Fingers crossed we'll have you, dear listener, back for the pod next week as well. And uh, we'll see you soon. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please consider leaving us a review on your podcast platform of choice. That's extremely helpful to us. We also have a Patreon page if you wish to chip in a few euro each month to help us out. That's over at patreon.com forward slash other Bundesliga. Special thanks go to Gabriel Geber at Torn Geber Studios for this lovely music and also to the gentlemen creatives for their other Bundesliga logo artwork.